0: Well, good morning again. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. risen Really? No, really? Risen from the dead. I mean, we all know that's what the day celebrates, right? The claim that Jesus was raised in his body from the dead. Uh, So that makes this. Day much more about family gatherings or even a celebration for Christians makes it about even more than the highest holy day in the Christian faith. right? This, this day places before us and the entire world an undeniably unique question. Did it happen? And that This is the thing I love about, about the Christian faith that if you know me, you know a little bit of my story. I didn't grow up in the church and I was rather stunned to realize that Christianity admits that it stands or falls on the simple answer to that question, did it happen? Well, Look at this from the Apostle Paul. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. <laughs> if it didn't happen, what I'm doing is useless. Hopefully you don't think that already. <laughs> if, Jesus, if Jesus wasn't raised, our faith is is useless. If it didn't happen, we should all go get brunch. See, the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead takes all questions about the truth and validity of the Christian faith out of the realm of speculation or philosophy or opinion and puts them solidly in the realm of history. The question is historical in nature. This is how. Easter puts before every person everywhere that undeniably unique question. You see, we can't explore the truth of the Christian faith by starting with questions like, what do I think about this faith? Or, do I like this faith? Or, how does this faith compare with other faiths around the world? All of those represent starting at the wrong place. The truth and validity of the Christian faith hangs on a single question, one single question. Did it happen? And exploring this claim is the most important investigation any of us will ever undertake. So today we're gonna look at a passage from the Bible that records some people's experience of this investigation how it felt to them as they investigated. We'll explore that a bit and then ask the very direct question, if the claim is historical in nature, is there any evidence to support it? Historically now, not just from the Bible. So that's where we're going. And before we dive in, let me pray for us. God, we come to you today and we ask your help. We ask your guidance. We ask that you would enable us to see and understand what you have, not what I'm saying, but what you have, God. Uh, Make yourself known, we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's listen to the scripture.
1: This is the word of the Lord from John chapter 20, verses one through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple and said to them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So the two disciples, Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, set out for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter And reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked inside, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, and Peter went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, along with the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head the cloth was still lying in its place. It was separate from the linen. And then the other disciple, the one who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not yet understand the words of Scripture that Jesus had to rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went back to the place where they were staying. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks,
0: Megan. So the Apostle John begins his account of the Easter story by recording some of the responses and experiences of those three people who came first upon the tomb. Of course, Mary arrived first, we just read that. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She was an early riser, right, before sunrise. Mar- Mary's journey began in darkness. So I want you to call to mind maybe uh, catching that early morning flight where you've got to get up at 0 oh, dark 30 and make it to the airport or, or getting a jump on that long road trip when you think, man, I'm, we're going to leave before the sun comes up on this one. We've got to get a, a jump on this. You know, if you want to get somewhere, Sometimes you have to leave, set out, when it's still dark, when you can't see. This is always how our discovery of the risen Christ begins, in darkness. No one is ready to encounter Easter until he or she has spent time in the dark place where hope cannot be seen. Easter is the last thing we are expecting, and that is why it terrifies us. This day is not about bunnies, springtime, and girls in cute dresses. It's about more hope than we can handle. See, when we first start exploring the question, did it happen, things will feel dark. There's no way of getting around that. The first experience of investigating the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead is feeling like you're starting in darkness. The next experience in investigating the claim is confronting your own assumptions. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary was the first to arrive. She found the large stone cover rolled away. She assumed that she knew what happened. A, A person or group had taken Jesus' body somewhere else. Her assumption is understandable. The only way a dead body gets moved is if a living person moves it. Dead people don't move. Here's the assumption with which you might need to grapple. Dead people don't come back to life. Therefore, the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead must be a legend because that can't happen. Granted, that's an assumption based on a lot of life experience and observation, but it remains an assumption nonetheless. The second experience in investigating the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead is confronting your own assumptions. The third experience is pressing on through hesitation and doubt. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, both were running, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Uh, The the other disciple is the Apostle John, and the Apostle John wrote this book. So he's referring to himself. This is autobiographical. So John is, is sharing with us his first experience with the empty tomb. And when he got there, he didn't go in. He stopped. He hesitated. He froze. And, and you can just imagine your way into his moment, can't you? What, what is this? What, what is this? See, faith is not a, a clean-cut, neatly packaged proposition. It includes doubts and hesitations and struggles. And sometimes, like John... We need to lean down and take a look for ourselves before we enter in. And you know what? That is perfectly all right. In fact, I think that's natural. Most of us aren't like Peter, just go charging right in. At least I know I'm not. Most of us need time to explore, to, to think, to observe the claims from the outside for a while before we go in. I think that's natural because when we're confronted with evidence like this, that Jesus might really now have risen from the dead physically in his body and be alive right now, that takes a little time to sink in. See, the third experience in investigating the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead is pressing on through hesitation and doubt. And the final experience is, is the breakthrough of belief. Finally, the other disciple, that's John again, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And the scripture goes on to say he didn't fully understand yet, but he, he believed, meaning he believed that Jesus was alive Again, The final experience in investigating the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead is the breakthrough of belief. So if you're gonna pursue the most important question seeking to answer the question did it happen? You have to press on through all these stages. I know this because I have experienced this. Uh, some of us might have come to faith in a different way. Uh, I think, I don't know, I'm speculating now. I think God's ideal is that we're raised in such a way that we never remember a day we didn't know Jesus or about Jesus and have a relationship with God. My story was not that way. And I remember when I started exploring the claim, did it, did it happen? When I engaged the most important investigation, it absolutely felt like I was starting in darkness. I could not see the way forward, but took a step anyway. My assumptions about life and the world in which we live and what's going on moment by moment, from when our head rises off the pillow until it meets it again that night, all challenged. It felt to me like someone was grabbing the cornerstone of my life and trying to yank it out. Like the whole structure might teeter and, and fall. And it felt to me for, for many months like faith, for me, would be impossible because of the, the level of doubt and, and hesitation that I had. How, can you, how could you actually believe this? And then finally, the breakthrough of belief. Where it clicked this isn't just a religion I choose, but a historical question to be answered. Do we really live in a world where a resurrection has happened or not? And it clicked for me. And what clicked for me was the tipping point of the historical evidence. My logical thinking brain needed that. I understand not all of us might need that. But the question for me became: is there enough evidence to support this? Because when you talk about all those phases you have to go through, it kind of kind of sounds uncomfortable. Like, why would we ever do that? But the question is not what's most comfortable for us, the question is what is true and real about this world? What is really going on? And regarding Easter and the claim of it specifically, did it happen? Was Jesus raised from the dead? So, is there sufficient historical evidence to support this claim? Uh, the, the belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. So I, I just want to list six facts that are historic in nature, not articles of faith, but historic, historical facts. So let's take a look for them because they need to be accounted for. Right? Jesus was a real person, not a mythical religious character. Now, you might be thinking, well, duh. I mean, everybody knows that. I I, I put this here because I did not know that. I made it to age 20, right? So that was 1989 for me. Age 20, I thought Jesus was a mythical figure. I did not understand that he was a real-life, flesh-and-blood person who lived 2,000 years ago. Turns out, No historians dispute this. No reputable reputable historians. There might be some really fringe kind of, but everybody agrees Jesus was a real person. There's all sorts of references outside of the Bible. So Jesus was a real person. Jesus died by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. Also, a clearly established historical fact, not just because the Bible says it, there's all sorts of references in non-Christian historians that, that verify this. Historical facts, Jesus was a real person died by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. Uh, Fact number three, Jesus' tomb was found empty. Now you might think that this is where a faith begins to depart from history, but it turns out that's not the case. If you do a comprehensive review of all of the known literature of the first 200 years after Jesus' death, you can conclude this. No anti-Christian writer of the first two centuries seems to have denied that the tomb was empty. So if you do the history homework, you find that even the fiercest opponents of the Christian faith did not deny the claim that Jesus' tomb was found empty. Rather, they proposed alternate theories to explain how the tomb became empty without without Jesus being raised from the dead, right? Right? I want you to get your mind around that. No one in the ancient world contested that the tomb of Jesus was empty. I mean, the the alternate theories are many. There's the wrong tomb theory, the stolen body theory, the moved body theory, the relocated body theory, which ironically is different than the moved body theory, and the copycat theory. And we can't unpack all of those. I have... And I can say to you, when you look at each of them and square them with the historical evidence, they all come undone. And the fact of the empty tomb is what finally convinced British attorney Frank Morrison that the resurrection actually happened. He he set out to write a book disproving the resurrection of Jesus. And to his surprise, his research on the historical evidence of the resurrection forced him to confront his own assumptions that it couldn't happen and led him to a breakthrough of belief. And he ended up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone? Question mark. That details the support of his findings for the resurrection. And the, the first chapter of that book is titled The Book That Refused to be Written. His original book refused to be written because the evidence was so contrary to it. So the empty tomb of Jesus, historical fact. Then there's the fact of what we're doing right here. The fact of the Christian church the largest institution that exists or has ever existed in the history of the world, by far. The Christian church today is more than 30 times the size of the Roman Empire at its height. You know, all sorts of non-Christian historians confirm as, as indisputable fact that the largest institution in the world began in Jerusalem just after the time of Jesus' death when... Jesus' followers began proclaiming that he had been raised from the dead. That is an indisputable historical fact. That is not an article of faith. The church exists, said one wise sage. The Grand Canyon wasn't formed by a hiker dragging a stick. Something else must have happened. Then we have the transformation of the apostles. What happened? To these men, I mean, in just a few days, they were transformed from a band of defeated outcasts cowering in fear, hiding from the Romans and the Jewish leaders into a pride of roaring lions for Christ. And history tells us they never stopped roaring. They roared till they died. Nothing would stop them. Think of the apostle Peter. He snuck into the high priest's courtyard to watch the questioning of Jesus and was intimidated by a little servant girl. Just 50 days later, that first Pentecost, after the resurrection, Peter took to the streets of Jerusalem with unbridled boldness in the first Christian sermon ever preached. Here's what he said. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Meaning we've seen it with our own eyes. I mean, 11 of the 12 apostles went on to be executed for their faith and their preaching. See, the powers that be said to them, you guys guys don't understand, we've got got a problem here. We need you to stop talking about Jesus. To which all of them replied, the problem here is not that we're not understanding what you're telling us. The problem here is that you're not understanding what we're saying. He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! And everybody everywhere needs to know. And by the way, we love you too much to not tell you. What what caused this change in those men? Has to be accounted for. Then there's the transformation of Jewish believers. Many of the early believers were Jewish, Jewish and, and they immediately embraced radical. Changes to their faith. They abandoned the Sabbath. You know, Friday night to Saturday night. Instead adopting the Lord's Day, Sunday. They embraced Easter as a replacement for Passover. They embraced the sacraments of communion and baptism over the Passover meal and circumcision. They began to produce Christian art and songs. You know, all of these monumental cultural shifts for, for people who were Jewish and had become followers of Jesus. What caused that? You can't just sweep it away. Something caused that. And and that's the point of the list. I mean, these are all historical facts, not articles of faith. And because they are historical facts, we must account for them. What explains them best? So the question then becomes, what possibilities are there to explain these facts and many others? outside the obvious claim that Jesus was raised from the dead, the biblical claim, or more directly, what are the options? I mean, very simply, the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead in his body physically at one level is either true or false. It's kind of binary, one or the other. If it's true, then it's just true. If it's false, maybe there are some more options. Seems to me there can only be two possibilities under the false category. It could be a fraud somebody was lying somewhere, or it could be a delusion, somebody was mistaken somewhere. Right? If the apostles claimed that Jesus rose from the dead but knew he did not, that would be fraud, they would be lying. Uh, but who would go to their death for a lie that they knew to be a lie? Right? If the apostles claimed that Jesus rose from the dead and really believed with everything in them that he did, but in fact he didn't, that would be a delusion. They were uh, either deceived or, or had been mistaken in some way. They, they really believed it, but it, it didn't actually happen. So in the end, it seems there are only three possibilities. Fraud, delusion, or truth. I mean, to believe the fraud theory, you have to be willing to believe that the 12 apostles died for what they knew to be a lie. Scottish theologian Principal Hill puts a sharp edge on this difficulty. One of the best quotes I've found in many years. Let me read it to you. To believe the fraud theory, you must suppose that men guilty of blasphemy and falsehood united in an attempt the best contrived and which has, in fact, proved the most successful for making the world virtuous, that they formed this singular enterprise without seeking any advantage to themselves, with an avowed contempt of loss and profit, and with the certain expectation of scorn and persecution that although conscious of one another's villainy, none of them ever thought of providing for his own security by disclosing the fraud, but that amidst sufferings the most grievous to flesh and blood, they persevered in their conspiracy to cheat the world into piety, honesty, and benevolence. You got to take that on faith to believe the fraud theory. Seems like believing that would take a lot of faith. Maybe the apostles really believed that Jesus rose from the dead, but were somehow mistaken. A couple theories in this camp, the swoon theory or the hallucination theory. The swoon theory proposes that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He fainted, was was buried, came to life later, but then after that, he really did die. The problems with this view are summarized by a non-Christian German theologian named David Strauss, it's impossible that one who had just come forth from the grave half dead, who crept about weak and ill, who stood in the need of medical treatment, of bandaging, of strengthening, and tender care, and who at last succumbed to his suffering could ever have given the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death in the grave, that he was the prince of life. This lay at the bottom of their future ministry, the belief that he was the conqueror of death and the prince of life. There's the hallucination theory that proposes the apostles somehow experienced a corporate hallucination and thought they saw Jesus alive from the dead, but the appearances weren't just to the apostles, we're told. He appeared to many people other than those 12. Paul says this and as much invites anyone who's there to go ask them. Look at what Paul wrote. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I take those last couple phrases, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, to, to mean, go ask them. They're right over there. Now, I, I chose to go this way with the Easter Sunday sermon because when I was exploring faith in Jesus, I needed a message like this. Now, I totally get that not everybody needs what I needed. <laughs> We're all different. We've all had different experiences. But if, but if you're like me, and in the past, now, you find your head getting in the way of the possibility of faith in let me speak to you from my own experience. I very much affirm what another pastor said when he wrote this. I've never, I've met many people who do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But I have never met even a, a, a person who has read even a single book on the evidences for the resurrection who did not believe it. I I know that this is true for me in my conversations. When I talk to people about the possibility of faith, very rarely can someone who is opposing the Christian faith name any of the historical evidences that might support the resurrection. So the question, have you really considered the evidence for the resurrection? Really? I mean, you know if you have or if you haven't. Next is this. I know that after I considered the evidence for the resurrection, I discovered that the real problem was not lack of evidence. The real problem was me. My pride. I did not want to admit that I needed help. I did not want to admit that I I needed something. I was surprised by the strength of the I've got this response within me. You know, I wanted to take care of it myself, figure it out myself, do it on my own, get it all signed and sealed, and, and I'll do this and then I'll be good. That's not the way this works. Jesus said that the the single qualification we need to come to him is to know that we're needy. So if you're struggling with all this, I want to suggest to to you the possibility that what you're fighting might be your own pride and not all of the other straw men you keep throwing up. I'm not all with a covering of grace, right? But can't this really be true? I mean, evaluate your own heart. We're about seeking truth and what's real. So, you know, swallow your pride and take a look. It really is worth it. There's not a person in this room who doesn't struggle. There's not a person in this room who's there anywhere close to being perfect. In some ways, if you're like me, you look at your life and think, that's kind of a dumpster fire. But this is a better way to live. Following Jesus is a better way to live. It really is. We, I get stuff wrong all the time. We as the corporate church get stuff all, uh, wrong all the time. I get that. But following Jesus is a better way to live. To quote Sherlock Holmes, when you've eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And that same logic applies to the question, did it happen? When we've eliminated all alternative theories for explaining the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead, we come back to the very claim itself. We have the eyewitness accounts of those eyewitnesses who saw Jesus and and those eyewitnesses were aware that what they were saying sounded crazy. They were. Look at what Peter wrote later on, "For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty." He knew, he knew what people were saying. This whole thing's a lie. They made it up. It's a legend. It's a myth. See, the most important investigation might just lead you to a breakthrough in belief. I invite you to it. I believe Jesus invites all of us to it. That's what Easter is about. This day is about God loving us too much to leave us alone. God loving us too much to allow us to continue on the path we're on right now calling us back, calling us home, calling us back to himself. So did it happen? I believe with everything in me that it did. And that's not just towing the party line. I really believe it. We as a church really believe it. Jesus was really raised from the dead. that means that God loves you dearly. Dearly and wants to embrace you and welcome you home. God loves you, and so do we. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for Easter. Uh, The claims of this day... Undo our worldviews if our worldviews are different than a resurrection world. So, God, show us what that means. If there's a battle within us today, uh, God, thank you for your patience with us. Be, Be gracious. Lead us to truth. Give us eyes to see where we are resisting unnecessarily and help us to humble ourselves and receive what you have for us. We turn to you and we ask you to help. We ask you to pour out your spirit on us and guide us into all truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.